Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Asterisk, a new conversation about the power and the magic and the interesting things that go on at summer camp. My name is Will Rubenstein, and I will be one of your hosts as we explore this curious thing known as summer camp. You know, life is full of surprises. Most of them are temporary, but when a temporary surprise turns into something that transforms your whole life, those are things you want to share with the whole world. So we're very excited to share these stories with you, the good, the bad, the pain, the excitement, the unexpected, and the overall joy of summer camp. Our first guest is David Silverman. David was the co-founder of Camp Kirkland for Boys in South Yarmouth, Massachusetts, Camp Kirkland was founded in 1957 and is still in existence, although under a new name as the Flax Pond Day Camp run by the town of Yarmouth. Camp Kirkland had a sister camp, Camp Wingate, a couple of miles away, and now both of those camps are known as Camp Wingate Kirkland, a co-ed camp on Cape Cod. After we hear from David, we'll talk to Christine Rui about what was it like getting ready for another great summer at camp. Hi, this is Will Rubenstein, and I am honored to be here with David Silverman. Good morning, David. Good morning, Will. Great to be here. Beautiful day on Cape Cod. Is there any other such thing? No. <laughs> no, there isn't. And um, we are here because we are trying to record some stuff that eventually will become a podcast called The Asterisk. And you and I started talking about this a few I don't know, two weeks ago, uh, what do you think about the idea of talking about camp and how it could affect lives or did it affect any lives? Is that worth talking about? Absolutely. Of course. Uh, I'm sure that uh, it affected lots of lives, hundreds, maybe thousands. Maybe. Yeah. The history of the camp goes back 60 years. That's right. And, and, And believe it or not, that's not even that old compared to some camps. And I say that with peace and love. There are camps that are over 100 and even 110 years old in the United States. This is true. This is true. But but we have a long, rich history. We do. Uh, with a, a lot of people. Started with a, a group of uh, campers, 22 brave young campers uh, in 1957, and it's grown to a wonderful operation here in, in uh, Yarmouth. Who do you think was braver, David, in the winter and spring of 1957? The kids that you just mentioned or their parents? Wow. I know. I think the parents were definitely the braver. Uh, the kids um, were just enthusiastic kids, happy to go away for a summer of fun on Cape Cod. But their parents were taking quite a chance on a, a uh, 25-year-old and a 21-year-old uh, who had um, great dreams but a little experience in running a camp. So literally what you're saying is there were about 20 families because maybe there were some brothers. There were. So let's say there were 20 households where you and Joel Wolfson either went into or had had previous relationships with. And those nice people, those parents in the year 1957, saw a 25-year-old and a 21-year-old that they had already known from some previous connections, which we'll talk about in a second. And they said, yes, I will give you my son for how long? Seven weeks. Seven weeks. Oh, and give you some money. 
Yes. And give us some money. It was not for free. No, not for would free. Would you please, would you mind telling us what was the cost of Camp Kirkland in 1957, please, for seven weeks? I believe it was $750. Okay. And I believe that it was an adjustment. Uh, actually, it was the, the dream was $1,000 for the summer, but because these families, some of whom had already made commitments to other camps and lost deposits, we uh, adjusted the price to $750. Uh, and that was the pioneer price. That was the pioneer price. Exactly <laughs> right. We now call that early bird, but there was yeah. no such thing. There were there were no birds. There was no early. No, they, this they was were the, the this was the hatchlings from the egg. <laughs> they, they were the turtle the turtles that made it back into the ocean and didn't get run over by the car. I'm sorry, everybody, but it's yeah, what yes. came to mind. All right, so. Um, yes, the twenty two boys and five staff members. Right, and I do want to talk about them in a minute. So. So just real quickly, can you sketch the kind of families and how you ended up knowing these, what turned into 20 families, just real briefly, your connection to them, and then we can imagine how still incredible it was that they trusted you and Joel Sure. So, so Joel had been a teacher in Brookline for several years um, at the Baker School in South Brookline, and um, he ran an after-school program on Friday afternoons, uh, sports opportunity for kids. And in the process, and he was a fabulous teacher, absolutely fabulous. Parents loved him. Uh, he was a great motivator. Uh, he was teaching fifth grade at the time, but uh, kids were very excited about the new um, educational opportunities that he presented in class. Um, aiming, We were aiming for particularly talented kids, not just um, academically talented, but all around um, good athletes, um, kids who had a lot of potential. And uh, of course, we presented this program as something unique at the time in camping because instead of having youngsters um, be scheduled through the camp, they were going to choose the activities that they wished to go to. And there were going to be lots of activities so that there were going to be lots of choices. And uh, hopefully we would find, an, each kid would find a niche where they would be successful for the summer. So these parents were mostly school parents. And then there were the associated uh, cousins who lived in Philadelphia and the um, cousins who lived in New York. And so we started out never having advertised the camp, never did in all the years we ran it, um, but by word of mouth, the, um, the, the, the camp filled. Wow. And, and just to be clear, there was an initial relationship through school because you said Joel was teaching. Yes. And so there was a, at least a level of trust in the sense that the children, most of the boys were spending time in Joel's presence and or care, um, in a, even if it was in a different different relationship. But that opened the door, if you will, to then have conversations about an overnight camp on Cape Cod where they could do the things you just described and make the choices they could make. Yes. And, and just a funny, wow. a, a funny aside story. Uh, initially, the campsite was going to be in Plymouth uh, for a very brief period of time. Uh, and Joel initially talked to parents about a campsite in Plymouth. And um, then we zeroed in on this beautiful site in Yarmouth, in South Yarmouth, Massachusetts. And we, without 
consulting with anyone, certainly not the parents, we moved the camp from Plymouth to Yarmouth. <laughs> and when the parents said, it's in Plymouth, we said, oh, no, 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 it's Yarmouth. Um, you must have misspoke. And, well, um, they both end in M-O-U-T-H. Exactly, I mean, come on. exactly, exactly. So it sounded, it sounded pretty close. We were lucky. Uh, <laughs> but the site in Yarmouth turned out to be just beautiful. The pond was almost private. It was pristine, clear water, uh, sandy bottom. Um, the site ended up being 100 acres of land. And, uh, and as a quick aside, it was, I believe, a campfire girls and boys camp at it, the turn of the 20th century? Well, Did was, I say that correctly? It was... It was a local camp for girls called Pine Tree Camp for Girls, and it operated, yes, in the 20s and 30s. And then the Depression, I think, um, Mm -hmm. really uh, spelled the end of that operation, and it became a youth hostel. Uh, And it was operating as that when we bought the site. Got it. And so notwithstanding a change of venue, notwithstanding this idea of giving your son to some nice men, one of whom they may have known better than the other because of a school relationship. Do you remember any one or two things that some of the parents said in that initial, the pioneer group? Did they, anything specifically that they basically said that would be humbling now when you think about it as as we think about the year 2017 and relationships between, let's just say, parents and any organization that uh, they share their child with, much less one that they sleep away from for seven weeks and maybe an hour, an hour and a half away from home. I think, as I think back on it now from my perspective, it was incredibly brave of those people uh, to entrust their kids to us. Um, there was a lot, we had an initial policy of visiting anytime you wanted. Uh, and so parents took advantage of that and came, I don't say to check, but simply to see this exciting project that they had invested in. Um, and they were not disappointed. There were some, I'm glad to hear that. There were some comments about the cleanliness of the boys, perhaps okay. at some point, but uh, that was to be expected. We did have a camp mother. We had mm-hmm. uh, the wife of one of the staff members who acted as... Um, uh, the check on um, the two uh, bachelor men who were uh, operating this camp. Well, right, and that's what I wanted to clarify. At that time, neither of you were married. Correct. Were either of you engaged? Neither of us were, were engaged. So, in other words, again, and we'll 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 be covering a lot of this throughout our conversations together. But this one particular point, I'm curious about. You had never been parents. You weren't on the way to becoming parents, meaning in in a family that was going to start a family. Yet you had worked with children and had gotten a reputation as someone trustworthy and obviously exciting and and um, positive role models and all those good things, right? Yet, yet still, well, uh, they took. That's why you installed this. Uh, and again, I hope you can understand why I ask. So, is that why you had a camp mom? Absolutely, absolutely. And was it clearly described when you were talking to these pioneer parents when they were wondering where that? Where was that other influence going to come from that wasn't David and Joel and counselors that might have been a female? If memory serves me correctly, at the beginning, there was, that was not an issue. That only became an issue later when people began to think through, oh, my God, what had they done? They signed their son up for a brand-new camp that had never operated before with two guys who never operated a camp before. But at the time, they were um, very enthusiastic, fairly young people, um, affluent people, uh, who were very excited about the prospect of this project. It was only, and, and, and we had um, 
help from some of the parents who asked us to think through the things so that we did end up with a staff member uh, whose wife served as the camp mother. And um, we had a camp nurse, um, not only because it was the right thing to do, but because we needed more female influence in a camp that started out with 22 boys, five staff members, and a nervous camp director. Well, I think that's a good place to take a break. We will certainly be talking more about not just the spring and summer of 1957, but but a lot of other issues that I think are incredibly valuable to hear your perspective on as someone who started a camp at age 21 with a partner who was 25 in 1957. And clearly, through the six decades, now seven, um, there's a lot that uh, I'm certainly excited to hear more about and learn from um, as we continue to talk together. Thanks, David, for taking the time this morning. Thank you, Will. Our final conversation today with Christine Rui, a longtime camper, CIT, and now counselor in her freshman year at Northwestern University. We talk about social media, how to get ready for camp, what is it like to find out who the new staff are, and is it okay to do some Facebook stalking? Let's find out together. And as you listen to this conversation, please enjoy a little bit of campfire. Thanks to Paul Simon. Andy Chappelle, and Sam McLean.